Well, Cardia, good money to you, Deepsha. Shaw, Jerry Adams, Arish. August Morris Grant, Asilda Gumsa. Well, Ahan Ruddy Gart, Livsha. So, what about the uh, recent census? The, the figures released have generated acres of newsprint and headlines on its detail and the implications of it. And it's remarkable that a century after partition and the creation of a sectarian gerrymandered little statelet in the north of our country, that population demographics have shifted so dramatically. And while many people are reluctant to equate religion with political affiliation and national identity, it is nonetheless a fact that the northern state was constructed on that basis. Two-thirds of the population were Protestant and Unionist, one-third was Catholic and Nationalist. And in the years following partition, the Unionist regime at Stormont set about entrenching its domination by creating an apartheid state in which Catholics or Nationalists were discriminated against in employment and housing, and tens of thousands were denied the vote in local government elections. When the census figures were published 10 years ago, in December 2012, the unraveling of the sectarian headcount that was the basis of this place was already visible. When the question of identity was asked, 40% of citizens registered as British only, another 8% as British and Northern Irish. And that meant that 48% of citizens in the North had some form of British identity. And that was a far cry from the 66% in 1920. And those who acknowledged in 2011 that they were Irish only stood at 25% and the figure for those self-identifying as Northern Irish only was also 21%. That's 46% identifying as Irish and not British. Ten years later, and the percentage identifying as British only has dropped significantly to 32%, while those who registered as British and Northern Irish is unchanged, 8%. That means that approximately 40% of citizens now identify as British. The comparison for those identifying as Irish only shows a jump of 4% to 29%, and those who registered as Northern Irish only has remained unchanged, that's 20%. And in addition, another 2% identified as Irish and Northern Irish. So that brings the total identifying as Irish to 50.67%. Now that's a lot of figures and to tell you the truth, you know, I'm not that taken by all of that. However, the census intelligence and changes is hugely significant. But in addition in the last six elections, political unionism has failed to secure an electoral majority. In every electoral contest since 2017, the combined unionist vote was less than a majority of the votes cost. Put simply, the unionist electoral majority is gone. The Assembly election saw Sinn Féin secure the largest number of first preference votes and the largest number of seats, a first for a non-unionist party. Michelle O'Neill is now the first minister-designate. 
Partition was supposed to make this impossible. Partition sucks. Now, on all counts, it doesn't even work for those who support it. Does that mean that the unity referendum is a dead cert or that Irish unity is inevitable? No, it doesn't. What it does mean is that there are more and more citizens in the North who want constitutional change. But this change must be planned. And for United Irelanders, this presents an enormous opportunity and an enormous challenge. And I was reminded this week of an answer I gave some years ago to a question about whether our nationalists could breed our way into United Ireland. And I replied then, an enjoyable pastime for those with the energy, but hardly a political strategy. And that remains the case. We need to persuade those who are currently against unity to be for it. And our future needs planned with them. By us, not by London. And this weekend, in fact, yesterday on Saturday, Ireland's future is holding a historic conference in Dublin. This podcast has been recorded before that. But that is proof that it is possible to bring people together to discuss strategy, to develop and plan for the future, to listen, to give opinions and to hold the conversation about the shape of the new Ireland. So I commend Ireland's future and you know that's what the Irish government should be doing. So on another issue, back in the day I used to be a regular mass goer. Not anymore. I've always liked the communal and social aspects of the mass and I'm comfortable with the rituals involved. And I like other religious services as well. The Protestant ones are much more democratic than the Catholic ones. But it's hardly surprising that there's a beneficial familiarity about the Mass for folks like me, given that most Catholics of my age were reared in that tradition. And I like church music. A good choir or a solo singer or a hymn that the whole congregation can sing together is very uplifting. Most chapels or churches are also contemplative spaces, holy places. And it's good to be in a space like that on a regular basis. Arguably, nature also provides this space. We have lakesides and beaches and glens and mountainscapes and rivers and parks and gardens. Perfect places for catching up with ourselves and for meditating or even to offer a prayer to, to reflect on the mysteries and the meaning of life. Now, I used to do both. That is, I used to do nature and go to Mass. Now, I mostly do nature. So when I go to Mass, occasionally, usually for funerals, it's a reminder of simpler days. In my youth, chapels were filled to overflowing. A Mass I attended recently had only 63 people in attendance. I counted them. Most were around my age. The youngest family there were dark-skinned. Other young ones, including young people in my own life, are rather in a more secular mode these days. 
and no harm in that either. Good values are what matter. And no religion has a monopoly on that. In fact, some have lost sight of the importance of good values in a maze of man-made rules and bad practice in which the institution reigns supreme and the message is subverted. It's all about control. In some cases, Christ has been erased from Christianity. He embraced sinners, the poor, the dispossessed. And that's why they crucified him. And they would do it again. I've never really been comfortable with Roman Catholicism. The one holy Catholic bit stuck in my craw, even when I was in my early teens. Surely there were war and are other churches entitled to respect, not just one. Even at school, I questioned the position of Rome and our own hierarchy on issues including its compliant attitude to the status quo here in Ireland. My critical attitude crystallised as I got older in line with my political consciousness. But I persisted with the rights of the church because I thought of it as a popular institution as opposed to a clerical one. The church was bigger than the hierarchy, I reasoned. And besides, over the years, I got to know a lot of good priests who shared my broad views. So even when the message from the pulpit really annoyed me during decades of conflict, I never walked out of Mass when the celebrant insulted the congregation, although I understand why others did so. I stuck it out. Maybe out of contrariness, maybe my own understanding of the teachings of Jesus, maybe because I wouldn't give in to the hierarchy's political agenda. The lack of democracy within the church continued to irk me, and this increased as I got older, especially the refusal to accept women as equals. In fact, the misogyny writ large in the official church's fixation with sex and the casting of women as mainly to blame for that sin became more and more annoying. But it was the revelations about the chewing babies which finished me. The burial of an estimated 800 infants in a sewage tank was too much. I was sickened by that and the other revelations of wrongdoing and the cover-ups and hypocrisy. Now I know cover-ups happen all the time in politics and in other spheres and hypocrisy is in the eyes of the beholder but in these cases it was being done in the name of God by people without a mandate or a willingness to discuss any of this or to be accountable. They were above such normal manners. Mostly because they claimed, and that's why the babies were buried in the sewage tanks, that these babies were born in sin. So they weren't worthy of respect. And neither were their fathers. And neither were their mothers. The fathers got off, of course. So I stopped going to Meekly Mass. When I do go, it's obvious that tens of thousands of others have also absented themselves. And I always recall the words of Father Des Wilson to myself and Father Alex Reed many moons ago. We were trying to meet with the Catholic Church leaders to discuss building a peace process. And with a few honourable exceptions, they refused to meet me. I was an MP at that time with a mandate unlike any of them. But they had a mandate 
they claimed from God or canon law. You know, Father Des said to us one time, by the time the bishops agreed to meet with the people, no one would want to meet with them. And Father Des was right. That's why the church is in the state it's in today. And while the Catholic in me regrets that to a certain extent, it's no bad thing. A healthy, democratic and inclusive society based on rights and tolerance, including religious freedoms, is more important than any church. The sectarian arrangements foisted on us for far too long encouraged sectarianism and the growth of fundamentalist clerical control in both parts of our island. A truly democratic dispensation and full empowerment of people will lift us all above that. Speed today. So, Shine, I thought we might go out with Christy Moore today and the Magdalene Landries. So, spread the faith. Gunirianta Libsha. Amor Orov. Joni was an unmarried girl Just turned 27 When they sent her to the sisters Because of the way men looked at her Branded as a Jezebel She knew she was not bound for heaven She had been cast in shame Into the Magdalene laundry most girls went there pregnant Some by their own fathers But Bridget got her belly from the parish priest They're trying to get things as white as snow All of those woe-begotten daughters In the steaming stains of the Magdalene laundry Prostitutes and destitutes And temptresses like Joni Fallen women sentenced Into dreamless drudgery Why do they call this heartless place Our Lady of Charity Of Charity These bloodless brides of Jesus If they could just once glimpse their groom They'd drop the stones Concealed behind the rosaries They wilt the grass they walk upon They'll leech the light out of a room They'd like to wash those girls Down the drains of the Magdalene land Peg O'Connell died today She was a cheeky girl They stuffed her in a hole Surely to God You'd think at least Some bells should ring 
But Joni thinks she'll die there too And that they'll tramp her in the dirt Like some lame bulb that never will bloom When the springtime comes When the springtime comes When the springtime comes When the spring